0: My girlfriend and I just moved into a newly refurbished basement suite across town from our old apartment. A team of contractors gutted the place several months ago, replacing the floors and appliances, but leaving the bathroom more or less alone. We weren't told much about why the landlord felt renovations were necessary, only that there had been a massive police investigation involving quote-unquote drug-related incidents. Fine by me. We got the place cheap. Though while cleaning the bathroom, I did notice what looked like dried blood under the radiator. One night after a day spent cleaning and unpacking, my girlfriend shuffled off to bed. I stayed up watching TV and wound up falling asleep on the couch. Around four in the morning, our cat jolted me awake by knocking a plant off the windowsill. The room lights were off, but from the glow of the television and the black light above our aquarium, I could see the dirt had gotten everywhere. Pissed off and half asleep, I cleaned the mess as best I could. My girlfriend walked into the room and asked what was going on. When I explained the situation, she told me to leave it for in the morning and just come to bed. I grunted something about almost being done, that I'd be there in a minute. She rolled her eyes and slogged back to the bedroom. Twenty minutes later, I still hadn't managed to collect all the dirt our cat had flung across the kitchen. At one point, I turned to empty the dustbin into the trash, only to see my girlfriend looming in the kitchen doorway, staring at me. The overhead light wasn't on, just the TV in the aquarium, so I couldn't make out her face. But the height and build were right, so I thought nothing of it at the time. Sorry if I'm keeping you up, I grumbled. I'm almost done. She just stood there. We'd been arguing on and off most of that week, so the silent treatment wasn't exactly out of character. Irritated, I finished up and brushed past her, asking if she was coming to bed. Not a word. Not a movement. She just stood there facing where I'd been. I thought, whatever, let her be mad and tired. I marched to the bedroom and angrily slammed the door. Just then, my girlfriend bolted upright in bed. I can't begin to tell you how disorienting it is to see someone you just left in another room sitting right there in front of you. The look on my face must have terrified her. She asked over and over, what's going on? Through sheer panic and a barrage of colorful language, I yelled that I had just seen her in the kitchen. Well, yeah, she said, her voice shaking. I went in there to see what the noise was. No, I told her. I literally just walked past you. Silence. She stared at me in disbelief. After a few moments, we opened the bedroom door and peeked out. The apartment was empty.
1: Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. Hmm.
0: And I'm
2: <laughs> Michael Tatum. You laughed. You laughed, and this
1: is goal intentions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we can't help. I just it. Like we being just make super each other. Pucky. We just make each other laugh all the time. That's what's wonderful. It's true.
1: It's true. We do that. I mean, that's what's fun about
2: that and this, this vodka podcast. that I'm drinking. I'm drinking. I'm drinking right. Dan Aykroyd's Skullhead vodka. That
1: shit's so good. Shit's
2: good. Like.
1: It's really uh, good. Mr.
2: Ackroyd, I know you don't represent this podcast or even sponsor it. But if you want to, I can get right. behind it because the shit's good. Because you, guys, you for
1: sure the listen. Shit's
2: I mean, <laughs> maybe. I mean, we did an episode right. about your family. And, and uh, yeah, maybe did. you have maybe you have thoughts on that. I'm just saying, but whatever, whatever you think about us, your vodka is fucking amazing. And there's like six different and flavors. Afterwards. And I've tried five. And all five nice. have been each flavor's better than the next. I'm this is the Aurora.
1: Ooh. It's, Does it taste like a Borealis or it, well, a Disney princess? It makes me
2: feel like a Borealis.
1: Oh. Um, <laughs> I love that. Then you're left with a Halloween decoration.
2: Oh yeah, I'm collecting so all the skull uh, bottles. Mm-hmm. All the bottles are shaped like skulls, and they're all crafted. They've got the same dimensions, the same clear shape. Clear glass, usually. But they're all they're clear glass, or one. Well, it depends on the flavor. One is like mm-hmm. opaque white glass. Another is like this kind of cool rainbow glass. The aurora yeah. one is kind of this weird silvered, almost looks like a soap bubble um, mm-hmm. texture or uh, color. And so yeah, but they're all like opaque or transparent. And so yeah, I'm gonna put some lights in those bitches. They also they make they make tea. They are manufactured in such a way that you can once you pull the the top off and you discard them once the bottle is empty. You can use them as tea candle holders, uh-huh. which is but kind they, of fucking amazing. I love it. I they're love them. Very useful. They're so great. And I, they, I love skulls. I skulls are everywhere in my house, and now I have skull bottles, which I've never had before.
1: Nice. I am having tart cherry juice, which is a detox be- drink, I guess, juice. Well, you can't drink right now because you've it. been
2: electrocuted.
1: <laughs> I have been electrocuted. Um, it went, I went back.
2: Sorry, to, I didn't mean to ouch you to our listeners. To,
1: it's all right. Uh, it sounds worse than it is because it's not really that. I went back <laughs> to the chiropractor for my shoulder. Covered Just good, in good. I'm glad you did. I'm uh, glad you did. And so they did this thing called needling, which is basically acupuncture. They put put needles all up to my neck, all the way down my shoulder. I already um, hate I, it. Yeah.
2: I already hate it.
1: It was. I definitely took a picture so that I could send it to you. I know. And um, then they clamped on. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I looked like a, a weird battery. Um, they clamped on little <laughs> electrodes, but it was just like a little clipper that, like a battery clipper, but teeny tiny and they put them onto the ends of the needles and having them put in really wasn't that bad it was just have it it's like someone pushing a fingernail into you a little bit it's not really that bad so it's like a um, it's like
2: a potato battery
1: <laughs> a potato battery exactly um so then if you've ever had like a Thames unit attached where they send the elect like the electric electricity i guess through it <clears throat> and you feel a little your muscle kind of vibrates and they use it to help with inflammation and to relax muscles that are super tight. That's what they did. But with the needles, I guess, because it's in your skin, it goes further. I'm not exactly sure. Mm. Uh, but it's like a she depth told me, <laughs> Yeah. She told me while I was covered in needles not to move my arm, because if I did, then my arm would be very sore for the next day. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did not move my arm on purpose when they but were...
2: funny thing about electricity...
1: it. Uh, if you've ever seen any of those old videos or pictures of, like, when they put electro electricity to a frog or, pers- or perhaps a dead or person's Or Thomas face.
2: Edison electrocutes <laughs> a fucking elephant.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, you'll find that muscles move on their own. And so the uh, person <laughs>
2: adjusting—yeah,
1: the person who was adjusting the electrical thing, I think it jumped on him <laughs> because then my arm <laughs> flew off the table and I was like, whoa. I, and, in uh, this story,
2: I want your arm to have come off the table and like started doing things like maybe putting someone in a chokehold or, or like throwing a glass or right. just like, just like it, 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 it became Bruce Campbell's hand force. from Evil Dead. <laughs>
1: yeah. That, yeah. Uh, and then, and then on another one, the same thing happened. So twice, my arm just flew up in the air without any control, and uh, and I was like, I think that's going to count as moving my arm. And so, in fact, it was very sore yesterday. It's still sore. Tomorrow is supposed to be and a lot now,
2: better. And now Jamie has a superpower. She can microwave meals by just thinking about them. I
1: can. Them. Just <laughs> come close to me and I'll z- zap it. But I have two really beautiful bruises on my shoulder. It looks like perhaps I'm recovering from a very large vampire bite. That's uh, <laughs> kind of what it looks like. Um, so, yeah, I've been – I've been. so I have uh, some um, uh, pain muscle relaxer type pills that I will be taking as soon as we're done here. <laughs> as soon as we're done here,
2: I uh, so, just, I have yeah. a horror of being electrocuted because I've nearly been struck by lightning several right. times in my life. Like I I don't know. Unsolved Mysteries did a uh, an episode like way back when we were kids. The Robert Stack edition of Unsolved yeah. Mysteries did an episode and they talked about people that that have seem to have weird electrocuted. Things associated with them, like maybe watches, never work on them for very long, or their mm. lightning seems to be drawn to them, um, even in unusual circumstances, and that. Tim's
1: that... units spike for no reason.
2: <laughs> right, right, yeah, uh, and that was me for a long time. Not in a while, but I've nearly been struck by lightning like multiple times in my life, I, and pretty weird. Like one time, lightning came through the fucking window. Like that was open. I was a kid, and I was staying in a, a some great aunt's fucking house in the farmhouse in the middle of fucking nowhere. And she still believed that you just when the tornado's coming, you should open up the windows. Right. That's the thing people used to do because they felt like, well, you know, other, it relieves the pressure, so your house uh, is less likely to be uh, sucked into the tornado. I
1: guess. Yeah, or they um, thought it would explode.
2: I guess. In my in my mind, I think to myself, well, if, we up, window, if we close the window, if we close the window, the tornado will think we don't trust it, and that'll make it angry. Um, <laughs> so, so she opened up the windows, and a fucking arc of lightning at some point came through the window and started popping across this aluminum embossed ceiling she had in on the first floor, and it was fucking crazy. It left these weird like cylindrical burn marks everywhere. It's wow. fucking crazy, but I mean, like it it came from me inside a house, Jamie. So I feel like. What were
1: you doing on a farm? The universe knows that's no place for you.
2: I grew up on a farm. I mean, it wasn't a place for me. To be fair, but like I grew up, I grew up in the country. My family had a farm in the deeper country that we used to hang out on, and it was like our little vacation home. And then we had family out there. You're right. You're right. It was like there's a (laughs) there's a line in the Ian McKellen film, the Ian McKellen brennan Fraser film called Gods and Monsters, where he talks Mm. about being raised by Irish peasants, like the uh, James Whale, the director of. Bride of Frankenstein, and oh, yeah. uh, who's a gay man and very uh, colorful, and uh, he's like, oh, you know, my family, they they did the best they could with with a child like me, but it was kind of like they were farmers that sent off for a, you know a, an ox and got a giraffe. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what do you do with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you put a you know you put a plow around it, you put the plow to it, and you see what it can do. <laughs>
1: yeah, right.
2: But anyway, uh, um, okay. So uh, so
1: that's where I am. I won't be quite as toasty.
2: Well, that's okay. I'll drink for the both of us, and uh, Thank and you. it's all all the more important because my my story, which we'll get to later on in the episode, involves a haunted brewery. <laughs>
1: Alcamaha
2: <laughs> spirits. Love it. For the spirits, um, a huge thank you to Jerry Motherfucking Jewel,
1: Yay, one of our Jerry, dearest
2: yeah. friends, who read that story. It was from a Reddit uh, sub, so a Reddit good. submitter, uh, who, <laughs> a Reddit user, girl Danny DeVito. <laughs> which I just fucking <laughs> love that <laughs> nice. name. It's a good story, and Jerry was happy to read it for us. And um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jerry's <laughs> love- great. Jerry is one of my favorite fucking people. On the goddamn planet. And I loved his reading of that story. It's so dramatic and so good. And, yeah, yeah he may have put outtakes in there just for us that you guys may not ever hear, um, but that had me fucking rolling. So, I love you, Jerry. We both love you. Thank you for we reading that you. awesome yes, story. He
1: is a, a uh, quite uh, the voice actor, but he's also a director. So, we mm-hmm. work with him mm-hmm. um, as a director quite a bit. And the last time I was with him, I was like, Jerry! You should be on our podcast. He's like, I would love to be on your podcast. (laughs) And so I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad he did it. I love
2: love that motherfucker. He's just he's wonderful. One of the things
1: that people don't know and this is the thing about Jerry, is he is like this weird quiet savant like he can do anything (laughs) if he's like you know i would like to play this instrument the next day he'll be an expert in that instrument he
2: also Mm -hmm. knows the words to every fucking song that has ever been recorded ever in the history of fucking song it's insane i'll be like oh what about this oh yeah i know this and he'll start singing and he has a gorgeous singing voice i mean it had the first time i heard him sing it was such a shot because he'd given no indication that he had this talent and it had me in tears. It was so good. Like, yeah. voice of a fucking angel. He ah. does.
1: One of my favorite things to do in session, like when we're in the studio, is just break out into song. Just like one line, though. Mm-hmm. Randomly. Mm-hmm. Not even at the beginning of a song. Just somewhere in a song. <laughs> and he always finishes the next line.
2: It's always, always great. does.
1: It's really great. Uh. Uh, I love it. Okay. <clears Sorry. <clears <throat> What's our... Uh... Our title. What's our title? Oh, I lifted my arm. I shouldn't <laughs> not have
2: done that. <laughs> it hurt me.
1: Um... Our title is suggested by our patron Candace. Love Candace. Yes! Uh, Candace. Yay! Thank you, Candace. Um, this is from it's a lyric from Florence and the Machine. And hmm. the lyric is no more dreaming of the dead as if death itself was undone. And Ooh. so our title is Dreaming of the Dead.
2: I mean, it's kind of what we do on this podcast, isn't it?
1: I know, so it's I know. Perfect. And I think it really applies <clears throat> to and it's kind of funny. This this is one of the titles too that it's, I knew what I was gonna do, but I didn't know all the details. And the more I got mm. into it, the more I was like, "Oh wow, this is really intense." So <laughs> it really oh my gets god, in there. So I'm so excited to applies. hear your story.
2: I know nothing about your story.
1: I didn't either. Okay. I didn't either. Okay, so this is the Kennebec Arsenal in Augusta, Maine. Okay. So. My sources are Wikipedia, of course, an article Maine's Forgotten Dead by Kelly Bouchard on centralmaine.com, a couple of articles by Keith Edwards on pressherald.com, hmm. um, and a couple of the regular haunted sites that have the general stuff on it. So um, – Let me preface this whole story by saying there is not a lot of information on specific ghosts from this place. There's a lot of general apparition seen and voices heard stuff, but nothing terribly specific. Mm. However, Cosmopolitan listed the Kennebec Arsenal as the most haunted place in Maine in 2017, so you'd think there would have to be something. right? Right.
2: I mean, for Cosmo to take notice...
1: Right, Cosmopolitan. <laughs> Why they know everything that's cosmopolitan. Um and just like It's in the name. Know. Really weird sex advice. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) it's very hard to get into this location, so I imagine that's why you don't see a lot of stories or videos online. The owners have taken this seriously since the property closed in 2004. They have cameras all over the place. There's an article in 2013 that talked about two young adults triggering an alarm in the tunnels, which are sprawled under the property to connect to different buildings. The police had the couple filmed on the camera and were actively looking for them so they could arrest them after they were gone
2: i mean like there was an
1: article describing them looking for them
2: okay so they they're serious about people they're
1: serious about it
2: not wanting to go okay so don't so the lesson here before we even begin don't go fucking ghost hunting in this bitch just don't
1: don't the building has been tar. the buildings all of them have been targets for ghost hunters and other urban explorers but the owners of the property aren't taking any chances the police are called and they will charge your ass (laughs) <laughs> your in April whole 2012, ass. your
2: entire your ass.
1: whole ass, you're a whole ass. Um, in April 2012, five people, four adults and a child, were caught on the third floor of one building and said they were conducting research for a history-related pro- project, aka ghost hunters. Um,
2: <laughs> and the cops were um, like, "Well, now you can do a whole bit about what it's like to be arrested." Yeah,
1: the four adults were charged with criminal trespass, which is a mm. misdemeanor. Mm not playing around. Uh, the owners are trying to keep the building, which isn't in great condition, safe from vandals. But I imagine there are safety concerns for trespassers as well. As we know from very old buildings, they're not safe. And the no. tunnels have been preserved for utility workers, but they're covered in asbestos, among other dangerous shit. So there's a reason that that stuff's closed off. Um and, and the hospital itself. I think the idea is that they want to turn it over. And there's been a lot of controversy, too. The state went after or the city, the city or the state went after the owners saying, you're supposed to do some shit with this and you've done nothing. It's you've just been sitting on it. So that is has caused some some controversy. Um and then, in two thousand and sixteen, public access to the entire property was blocked off. So basically, people would come in and they would use the parking lot because there was this really nice like trail down by the river. Mm. Um, the trail stayed, but the part they shut off the parking lot. People were like, "What the fuck? Like why is that?" And <laughs> And the reason they did that is there were concerns ab- about criminal activity in and around the parking lot, mostly sexual in nature.
2: Well, the answer to that there is to just decriminalize. Public sex.
1: Right. I mean, there you go. It's
2: consenting adults. In and out who of the cares? parking lot yeah. indeed. I mean, if it's between consenting adults, who cares if it's in public? Mm. I mean, it's a parking lot. Children. You know, the other people shouldn't be there <laughs> anyway. <laughs> not supposed to be on
1: this... <laughs> it was the people were allowed to park there.
2: But not like park there.
1: But like park. Like, park there, but not, like, park there. Just, like, park, but not, like, park. <laughs> Plus, if you're parking, that's a good way to get murdered by a serial killer. Have they not watched anything ever? Uh, uh, fair. That's a fair
2: point. Like, there's a, there's a surprisingly high number of serial doing? killers that like to kill people that are making out in cars.
1: I mean, we all know the story of the man with the hook, right? Come on. Yeah. So, the point is, because no access is allowed, and people have asked permission to get in, and they are denied. Uh huh. we have general stories because of that and not a lot of specific ones. Okay. Again, voices, random apparitions, shadows, and a feeling of sadness that permeates the hallways, but that's about it. And that's before they closed all the buildings. Hmm. Right. I gotta say too, and before the I mean the hospital lasted oh, there's a spoiler. Uh <laughs> <to> 204. <laughs> uh and so they uh they um so I don't know if there was a time where the buildings were empty or what, mm. but they closed it up pretty quickly. So the only thing we'd have are the people who worked in that location previously, right? So okay. anyway. <clears throat> Makes
2: sense. Makes sense. Now,
1: I got to say the history behind this location would, ma- uh, would make me accept these ghost stories as legit, though. Like, I'd pretty much believe it was a portal at this point based upon what I've read. The history is very, very dark. Oh, so God. just get ready. Okay.
2: okay. All right. I'm so ready.
1: First, let's go back in time. Um, <laughs> after the War of 1812, the U.S. realized it needed to defend its coastline better in case of foreign attacks. So the government started developing coastal and border fortifications like crazy. Hmm. Maine was singled out because of uh, some of its city had actually been occupied. Cities in mm-hmm. Maine were occupied during the war.
2: Yep, yep.
1: Um, and it also didn't help that there was this ongoing border dispute with neighboring New Brunswick over the northeastern border either. <sighs> Problems. So as a result, the decision was made to build a major arsenal at Augusta. The site is on the east bank of the Kennebec River south of the central business district and it was partly chosen because it was easy to get there by boat. Right. <clears throat> the plans were drawn up in 1827 and construction began the following year and lasted until 1831. Hmm. There were commandants and officers' quarters, barracks, stables, a carriage shop, and the main armory. Most of the major structures were built out of granite, by the way. Between 1832 and 1838, the quarters were enlarged and given their present Greek revival styling. And the large and small magazines were built, as well as a munitions laboratory. A perimeter fence of granite and iron was also added, and the building known as the office was built in part, uh, and it was made in parts uh, taken from the demolished remains of a stable. Huh. So, reduce, recycle, reuse in the 1800s. That's great.
2: Good on them.
1: Good on them. How
2: progressive.
1: Yes. Shit got real intense in 1838. (laughs) on that border dispute like it got real intense um but they figured it out in 1842 with a treaty so after that the arsenal made some weapons for the mexican-american war and the civil war but you know a happy treat or treaty over a decided border usually means you don't have to protect your borders anymore and on top of that, it wasn't exactly easy to get to. It was a pretty remote location. Hmm. They moved the armory and carriage shop closer to the riverbank and a fire station was added to the property, but in the end, the federal government decided in 1901 that the arsenal was not necessary anymore. So God, back to God my for spoiler. The,
2: God for those days when yeah. the government was like, oh we're we're good. We don't need this military thing anymore. Well it us make it something yeah. else. Fuck. Did that does that even happen Go anymore? For I don't think it happens anymore. No. I think once we have a military no. installation, They're we like, keep it a military installation for fucking ever. Yeah. We're like, let's do more. Funding. Yay. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Sorry. We
1: don't need that anymore, but so let's go ahead and quadruple the funding to that particular location. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. So let's say you're the government and you've got a property in a gorgeous but remote location right off the river. And you want to make sure this particular property is eventually as haunted as a location can be <laughs> like a portal. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to put the location to make that happen? A hospital? What kind of hospital? Uh, um,
2: uh, a, a mental asylum.
1: Yeah, I was right! Uh, yeah. well, yes! You know, it's, ding, ding, ding. I mean, it's
2: just, it's ghost, <laughs> it's ghost making 101.
1: That's true. It's how you make it. Whoopsie ghost, not in this story. They're all on purpose. Sanitarium. (laughs) uh,
2: Yeah, sanitarium, a a mental institution, uh, a a war hospital, any of those, or a theater. Any of those will just. (laughs) Theaters. Yeah.
1: Uh, This. Thing has it all. <laughs> so <laughs> the government turned the site over to the state, and the state absorbed the arsenal into the already existing Maine Insane Hospital, which is a fan fucking tastic <laughs> name. <laughs> the Maine Insane Hospital. Insane. In, love... Insane. In, in the, the Maine, <laughs> Maine. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's terrible, He's but insane. I love it. <laughs> it's <to> Maine, like. <laughs> <laughs> the main insane, did no the one think of that?
2: Hostile. Oh my God.
1: So now, of course, later they changed the name. Someone was probably like, y'all.
2: <laughs> That's like earlier today we were talking, you and me, and you brought up the word titty caca, And I started cracking titty up caca. because every time I'm like, did they not even realize that the other way of saying that also rhymes? Like, it's like, titty caca can become <laughs> can become booby poopy. So it's yeah, like, that's oh, that just, there's no shot. It's like, it's like the planet Uranus. Uranus, Uranus. There's no way to say it without getting a smile. There's just none. Yeah, there's none. You there's have none. to be made of stone to not go. That's right.
1: <coughs> yeah. It's, I mean, so that's the why main. not, not any of the other cities. So the
2: main insane drain. Yeah, Plain. the Maine
1: Insane Hospital. Uh, <laughs> they they later renamed. They later renamed they, the Maine Insane. They renamed insane the main Insane. Host- <laughs> 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 uh,
2: they t- I shouldn't laugh. People were really hurting there, but still, it's no just laugh a, now because it's funny. not going to be much longer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no! So we've got a limited amount of time. Oh god. Okay. Uh, okay. So they later named it the Augusta Mental Health Institute, which sounds much better than the Maine Insane. Yeah, that doesn't
2: hospital. triple up talk nearly as as comically
1: main insane yeah <laughs> main,
2: main insane claim I'm gonna
1: start saying that how you feeling main insane
2: main insane <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's just like I really want
1: what uh, um, fish or I want I want some really good uh, uh, clam chowder how you feeling main insane
2: I'm insane some for lobster main insane, at main insane. <laughs> <laughs> starring Billy Zane <laughs>
1: Okay, okay. So, okay, now, Augusta Mental Health Institute is what they Mm. changed it to. Okay. So back in 1830, 10 years after Maine became a state, the governor called uh, for care of numerous cases of lunacy after a survey by Dr. Tobias Purinton of Danville found 562 mentally ill people in Maine, or about one in every 300 citizens. But you know... Mental Uh, health is a a modern idea. People didn't have the same problems back then because they had other things they had to do, right? Isn't that what they say?
2: (laughs) Especially because you can just tell the science community was like, I mean, they called it lunacy, which is just like, it's like imagine a scientist with a fucking degree who spent seven years in a school learning this shit saying, oh, yes, let's put you away because you're under control by the moon. Like, (laughs) who's the insane person here?
1: Right. You worship the moon? Lunacy. Lunacy. I like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 1834, the legislature approved $20,000 to establish the state's first insane hospital. A couple of rich dudes with mentally ill family members donated $10,000 each to the hospital. Mm. And then it opened in 1840 with 120 patients. In 1850, fire gutted half the hospital, killing 27 patients and <sighs> one staff member. Oh, God new wings buildings and parcels. so there's one right we've already got okay <laughs> without the mental hospital being a mental hospital so far we've, got so 27 far, we've patients checked two
2: boxes a- we have we have an insane asylum a and a fire all right <laughs> yeah
1: um new wings buildings and parcels of land are added throughout the uh, all the way through to the 1980s growing the campus to more than 800 acres including 600 acres of farmland that produced tons of food and employed employed hundreds of patients. And by employed, I mean they were slaves.
2: That was, well, yeah. But that was a typical, it was thought, uh, not to defend that practice, but it was thought at the time that, you know, what these people, what people suffering from various forms of mental illness needed was something to occupy themselves. And so, like, they, the idea was bring them back to, there's this thinking uh, among the psychiatric community that, like, what they need Mm -hmm. is to get back to, like, Simple things like, you know, tilling the earth, raising cattle, stuff like that, because it was thought, like you said earlier, like people from other generations didn't go insane because they were too busy, which is, of course, right. not true. But that was the prevailing belief at, at this particular time. Yeah. So they, they needed something to do. And most of the time, most of the, that happened a lot with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, just hospitals in general. Like we've read about the tubercular ward uh, mm-hmm. that, that had like people like, hey, if you're good enough, go out and work the thing so they could be self-contained because it was also, right. it made them, um, it was also, I think, inspired by a fear of contagion. And, and there was this idea um, prevalent in the community at the time that insane people could make other people insane. Right. So it's like, Which, uh, whatever yeah, we we'll need to, make, to, be self, to be um, self-sustaining. So it, it's it's complicated. And I think their heart was in the right place, but they were wrong.
1: Yeah, maybe initially, but that lasted until the 1970s.
2: Oh, yeah, then they were fucking evil. Fuck them.
1: <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. So em. it wasn't until there's a consent decree that eliminated unpaid patient labor. But then uh, that didn't happen until the 1970s.
2: Oh, my God. So, anyway, that
1: expansion in 1901, of course, (laughs) included the armory. Mm. When they expanded into the armory, the wood frame structures were all torn down, as were the carriage shop and the fire station, and the granite buildings buildings were adapted for the hospital's use. But they didn't make any major alterations to the design of the building and the layout. It was pretty minor. They just used the the structures as they were. (laughs) So... The surviving buildings represent the oldest surviving complex of mental care facilities in the United States. Hmm. Hooray, nightmares! <laughs> um, <laughs> the hospital's core complex was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1982, with the listing enlarged uh, with the listing enlarged to encompass the entire campus in 2001. The arsenal itself was designated as a National Historic Landmark District in 2000 as a good example of a nearly intact early 19th century munitions storage facility. Hmm. So they're both, you know, it's two things, two things going on there. So, of course, the hospital changed its treatment from 1840 to when it closed in 2004, which was uh, because it had a kinder, more modern hospital established to go to, and that's why it closed in 2004. Hmm. Uh, It had got a lot of attention and eventually was forced to close down, basically. Uh, So when you think about... Some of those 19th and 20th century treatments, you oh. think about just torture, right? <laughs> Early treatments at this particular hospital included medieval measures such as bleeding. Oh, God. Uh, restraining patients in a tranquilizer chair, which is basically restraining them 24-7 at times for therapy. Cupping. That's the placement of heated cups on the body causing skin blisters that were thought to draw out poisons. Toxicity. They could have just had tart cherry juice.
2: Right. Um, Or a little champagne. I'd go to that
1: place. (laughs) I'd go to that place right fucking now.
2: I don't even need a fucking tranquilizer (laughs) chair. Just give me a glass of that stuff.
1: Right. Or put me in the tranquilizer chair and give me a straw. That's different. I'd like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, through the years, medical treatments evolved from opium to Thorazine to lithium and included mm. controversial insulin and electroshock therapies. God. Um, oh,
2: electroshock is. And the most likely worst. waterboarding
1: as well. Water treatments. We've talked about those before. Uh, the reality is, though. Also something we've talked about before, these hospitals were where people were sent to be forgotten, not to be cured.
2: Yes, and they were oftentimes just used by unscrupulous fucking researchers to see how much damage the human body could take. Like, it's it's fucking reprehensible what these people went through.
1: Yep, even in the mid-late 20th century, there were major issues. Karen Evans was a patient at the Augusta Mental Health Institute in the early 1960s, and her time there was, you know— Nightmarish, Mm. like like I said. Mm. (laughs) Karen was diagnosed with schizophrenia at 17 and was sent to the hospital for about a year. During her stay, a girl she knew only as Margaret confided to Karen that she was contemplating suicide. Karen warned the hospital staff. The next day, she discovered Margaret in her room. Her head had been forced between the bars on the window, and the window was shattered, and there was blood everywhere. What? What? She went, told somebody, they took Margaret away, and she never saw her again and never found out what happened.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ.
1: In Karen's words, it happened more than once while I was there, but she affected me the most. It felt to me that people disappeared overnight, that life could be dismissed so easily. One of the first eight patients <clears throat> was a 24-year-old Augusta man who had been kept in handcuffs at the local poorhouse for several weeks. Uh. So if you were too poor, you could go to the main insane hospital. Yeah. Uh. Another was a 49-year-old 40 Kittery woman who had expressed erroneous views on religion and who, it was thought, contracted her illness while caring for her mentally ill, Ill father and brother. Jesus Christ. So that's that whole catching it thing. Mm. Those first 120 patients came from across Maine brought by family members and overseers of poor houses where some were kept in chains or cages. Symptoms included mania, melancholy, Mm. masturbation, and faked, faked voices.
2: I would have. We all would have been. I mean. (laughs) Locked away.
1: (laughs) At some point, right? I'm like. Early diagnosis often focused on socially unacceptable behavior, awkwardness. You know, a lot of people who have uh, awkward social interactions Mm. would be in an asylum today. Went to the 20th century. People were (sighs) well into the 20th century. People were admitted to AMHI for conditions ranging from epilepsy to Alzheimer's. In the 1970s, deinstitutionalization and community mental health services were encouraged with that, um, that, that law that kept people from having to be slaves anymore. So the yeah, average daily yeah. population dropped, thanks to deinstitutionalization, mm. from 1,500 people to 350.
2: Well, that's okay.
1: It's good. That's a bonus. it's good. And that-, that just shows how many people were in there that didn't have to be.
2: Yeah, and that's the right. thing. Like, the, the, the argument has always been, like, especially with, if you want to design a place where these people can be put away, who gets to decide... The yeah. criteria for when someone should be put away, it's like, well, we just do that He masturbates too much. Is that insanity or is that something like we can fix right.
1: or just whatever or let them fucking or, do it so long as it's not in the grocery she doesn't really store. agree with her husband's religious choices. Yeah. So it's, let's go ahead and lock her away.
2: Another, it's just another kind of prison for people that haven't yeah, committed an obvious crime. It's just very, yeah. their only crime is being different. Yeah. And in the exactly. meantime, people that have severe mental issues are not getting helped.
1: Yeah. they well, just thrown and at in the there and time, their issues
2: are compounded because they're in a nightmare.
1: Yeah, and then they can't use them as slaves anymore, so they don't need them anymore. So they let them all go. Like, it's all kind of at the same <sighs> time. Man, fuck. And it's like, <clears throat> yeah, right? God. So in 1988, <laughs> five patients at the hospital died during a summer heat wave, and mental health advocates brought a class action lawsuit against the hospital and state because of it. In 1990... Consent decree orders address crowding and care problems at AMHI in an effort to improve community mental health programs by 1995. Hmm. They had five years to get their shit together, but a lack of funding and controversy led to continued delays and repeat contempt orders through 2001. Hmm. And that's the thing that fucking one of the things that pisses me off is that. They can say, you have to get your shit together. You have five years to do it. And then if they don't do it, people are suffering. People are dying. And the government just says, okay, well, you're in contempt of court.
2: Yeah. It's like, we're going to call you a what? name.
1: Yeah. Shame on you. Fucking. Right.
2: Fucking. Ah, oh, it's, so, it's all just theater. It's all fucking theater. hmm
1: Thankfully, the legislator appropriates $33 million in 2000 to build a new hospital. Four years later, the 92-bed Riverview Psychiatric Center opened up on hospital grounds, uh, not not the grounds of the armory, but on the hospital grounds, and AMHI closes. Mm. Court lifted the active supervision of Riverview in 2011, so at least they continued active supervision to make sure everybody was treated well. Mm. So finally, patients were getting the care they needed. Of the estimated 45,000 people who were admitted to AMHI from 1840 to 2004 for various so-called mental deficiencies, nearly one quarter of those people died on the property. Oh, God. That's, one, that's 11,647 individuals. Jesus Christ. Like I said, they were sent there to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. whether that was because family and or loved ones didn't know there were possi- possible cures or what most most patients were not expect to expected to ever leave Ugh. unfortunately the patients weren't respected much more after they died first of all the records are not what anyone would call thorough although there are records of those 11647 people who died in fact who did in fact die on site in the early days, hospital staff would simply note in a daily journal that a certain patient had passed away in the night. The hospital kept no apparent records of where deceased patients were buried, other than a hand scrawled map of a few graves in a nearby cemetery. Mm. It is believed that there are more than 300,000 of these forgotten dead at active and former state psychiatric hospitals across the country.
2: Oh. God. There's
1: a group called the Maine Cemetery Project that is raising money to honor the patients who died at the Augusta Mental Health Institute. Their research is why we know the names of the people who died at that hospital. Reacher, researchers still hope to find a comprehensive burial record, though there's no evidence that such a record ever even existed. Uh. The disregard for the dead at these hospitals ah, is so fucking disgusting. Here are a few horrible stats, just so that we know, across the United States, what we've done. Jesus (laughs) Um,
2: fucking Christ. The
1: cremated remains of 668 patients who died at Hawaii State Hospital between 1930 and 1960 were found in the basement, stored in crumbling cardboard boxes. About 3,500 canisters of unclaimed ashes were found on storage shelves at Oregon State Hospital. More than 400 patients were buried in unmarked graves at the former Northampton State Hospital in Massachusetts, and 1,994 patients at Toledo State Hospital in Ohio were buried beneath small numbered markers that were eventually lost. God. At the former, former Central State Hospital in uh, Milledgeville, Georgia, about 25,000 people lay in unmarked graves Jeez. because they dug up the markers to make it easier to mow the grass. Oh, fuck. Some patients who died at AMHI were returned to their families and buried in hometown cemetery plots. Some unclaimed patients may have been used as cadavers for laboratory experience uh, experiments at the Medical School of Maine because it was allowed at the time. And the lack of records leaves open the possibility that some were buried in unmarked graves on the hospital campus or in pauper's graves across Maine, meaning the site is most likely a cemetery as well. Mm. Portal! Motherfucking portal! Okay. Right. (laughs) In (laughs) 2005— Uh, this is kind of great. In 2005, nearly all 11,647 names of patients who died at AMHI were read aloud during an emotional, rain-soaked ceremony on the hospital grounds that lasted the entire day. Mm. But the stigma of mental health issues remains. Several of those names were removed from the list at the request of family members.
2: God, it's just like
1: even now. It just it just
2: begs the question: Who's the one that's insane? Like, if people are willing to be that blind to another human being uh, and their needs and the respect they deserve Mm -hmm. after being dead, like, who's the insane one? Like, it's just, it boggles my fucking mind that a human being, like, did no one, when someone handed, like, somebody somewhere in fucking a bureaucratic setting had to tell someone, yeah, just go ahead and pull up all those markers because it'll be easier to mow. And fucking no one in that line said, "Uh, no. No one stood no. up, no one just fucking did it like it's insane i Hannah Ardent, a philosopher, a German philosopher, wrote elegantly about the holocaust and and not to make it about that but uh but her her observation was like evil is done by people who don't fucking think like we have yeah. this idea in our head of people that do evil that are like go out of their way that are like these big over-the-top villainous menacing uh narcissists sociopaths and those people certainly exist but not nearly as many as the people who just let those people call the fucking shots because yeah. they they're just like nah eh, whatever okay i'll, I'll pull it it's it's the bureaucrats it's it's the obedient um Fearful people that just let the fucking psychotic assholes in power get away with shit. That's where evil really happens. And so that just pisses me off. It's not like one person can do that, all that damage on their fucking own. It requires the acquiescence of a shit ton of people who just don't care. And that's insanity to me.
1: Yep. I agree. Uh, I agree. Sorry. Um,
2: I'm just out of my drink now. And so I'm mad. I told you. I
1: told you. (laughs) It's going to get dark. Uh, Karen Edwards still doesn't know what happened to Margaret, and she may never find out. But as a member of the Maine Cemetery Project, she has hope. Karen said, (laughs) It used to be there was no hope. They told my parents I'd be in an institution my whole life. I have hard times still, but I haven't been in a hospital in ten years. Everybody has value. Each life needs to be honored, even in death.
2: Mhm. Yes. Yes. Just how hard is yeah. that for people to get? I don't understand.
1: Why yeah, does it and, take
2: someone going through something like that for a for a normal adult human being to go, "Oh, you're right." Like I just don't why does yeah. why do we have to keep having this conversation? When are we going to exactly. fucking learn?
1: Well, and as dark as we get on this podcast and the stories that we sure. tell on this podcast, I feel like that's what ghost stories do. They keep memories of people, real fucking people alive. They tell personal stories that the history books would rather we forgot. Mm -hmm. Even if the hauntings aren't real, at least they draw attention to the atrocities that happened at this armory turned hospital. And by remembering the horrors of our society, that our society put people through, maybe just fucking, maybe we can stop this shit from happening in the future. Maybe, and maybe eventually we can treat all humans like they're actually fucking humans. Right? I, I just don't. In the, duh, nah. in the words of Callista, this has made me very emotional. I am very emotional. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> uh, oh, no. for the record, I think this place has to be haunted as fuck. I just need to see. Well, say it's that. certainly
2: haunted by a bad fucking conscience. Yeah. If nothing else. And that's an And an,
1: I imagine that there is a bad feeling in that place and there fucking should be. But we'll talk about be. people
2: that went there for help. People that went there for help and they got forgotten about, abused, forgotten mm-hmm. about, and discarded. Like so mm-hmm. much fucking like lawn trimmings. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and it still happens. It still fucking happens. Maybe not on that scale, and maybe not. You know, under those exact auspices. But it still happens. I mean, we still, our, our society is rife with the forgotten. You know, maybe it's yeah. just, I mean, look at what this pandemic is, is a huge, like, it's a huge revealer of that. Look at how many people are getting sick and dying are people that are forgotten, but that have no resources to right. to safe.
1: When uh, you see the they were that they were putting out in New York. Yes. Ugh. It's just, an, it's just,
2: I just don't understand. I don't, I mean, mm, God. Fucking damn it! <laughs> That's yeah. what else can you say? Yeah. But it's important so, to tell these stories because we want we want you guys to hear it and like take it, take the lesson. And if you ever ever see something like that happening in your own life, like do everything in your fucking power. Don't just turn a blind eye. Don't be that fucking office worker or whatever that just goes ah, whatever. It's larger than me. I can't do anything. Yeah, um,
1: and it's I find it really interesting how topics present themselves. Um I had never heard of this. I, right. I told Jack to give me a state and he said Maine and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and then I went just sitting and went for it. So um I I feel like sometimes there's a reason that we hit on some of these topics and I oh, don't yeah. know what the, those reasons are, but whenever I don't know. I, I always feel like I should even more so do it if it's like, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> mm, and I didn't mm, expect it to mm. be this, you know, to be crying doing my research. Mm. I told Jack, I was like, I'm never going to get this fucking out without crying because it's so, uh it's just so awful. Well, and, because you're, and
2: you're a good human being tragic. that has feeling, that feels for these poor souls, yeah. you know. So God love you.
1: Yeah. And my oh. shoulder hurts. <laughs> <Your> um,
2: <laughs> yeah, there, so, hey, anyway, there, once upon a time, you'd have been locked away for that.
1: That's true. That's true. That That's not why my shoulder hurts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's completely unrelated to my mental illness. That's my shoulder really. just fucking hurts. <laughs> my God.
1: Oh, I was making a masturbation joke.
2: Oh, that is why my shoulder hurts.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: uh. Oh, so that's the Kennebec. Oh. I hope I'm saying that right. It's K-E-N-N-E-B-E-C. It looks like Kennebec.
2: Kennebec. Kennebec. Um,
1: I'm Arsenal in, yeah. in Augusta, Maine. Well, thank
2: you for sharing that story, and I think it was really important that you did so. Mine, mine is a little lighter hearted than that, so um, and it Good. involves beer, I'm which reminds me. I, I'm, before we continue, let me go make myself another drink, because I sure fucking eat one after that story. Uh, yeah, then, I need
1: some more. I need some more tart cherry to detox.
2: <laughs> I need some more crystal head vodka to tox. Um, <laughs> right, Got it. Okay, we're balanced. Right. We're Back so balanced. In a moment, loves. <laughs>
1: It's Patreon time. It's Patreon time. <laughs> yes. It's when we talk to you about joining Patreon time. Chat time um, with ghouls. That's right. We're here to say, hey, thank you guys for your support. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a mm-hmm. Patreon that we are using instead of commercials. This is our commercial yes. uh, for the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> so Look at go that. Patreon.com. That's right. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash intentions mm-hmm. uh we have several different tiers at the i believe eight dollar and up tiers we have a discord um and we have chats every month with our discord the coming month of august yes we're we gonna will be have doing two our, And we're,
2: we've moved it uh to make it, it. it to make the time a little more agreeable with our friends overseas so yes. uh in August, we're going to do it on the first chat on the 15th at noon. And that will be f- uh, at Central noon, Standard Time. And that will time. be for
1: everybody, right? Yes. That's for everybody. Right. Yeah. In the, on the Discord.
2: On the Discord. And that's noon uh, Central Standard Time, uh, US time. And the 29th will be uh, same thing, noon uh, Central Standard Time, and that one is for the patrons. The Phantasm
1: yeah. The Phantasm
2: Tears. Yes, yeah, specifically, the, the... yes.
1: Dis, the first, the 15th is for the all Discord all members. All the, <laughs> the all skit, yeah. And then the 29th is for Phantasm specifically. Uh, so thank you guys. Um, join the Patreon. It is a lot of fun if you're on the Discord. It's a really great community. They're playing Dungeons & Dragons. It's so cool. There's a whole cool. group playing Dungeons and & Dragons and stuff. They design the tees. Um, And we just have a really good time over there. But also, anything is appreciated. Uh, We pay our engineer for for the podcast. Matt, who is awesome! Yeah, yeah. And so in lieu of commercials, we just are asking you guys to support us on Patreon. Um, Tears start at a dollar and go up. So anything, anything is appreciated. You guys are the best. And on to the next.
2: Yes, join us for the spoopy fun. Yes. We're back. I just had to squeak my chair into the microphone. This no. why why can why can they not make a a, a metal uh, what's the word I'm looking for stool that <laughs> doesn't creak? It's so distracting. I don't want to move, but I need to move. I'm very animated when I speak, you know this. But my ass has to be planted in place, and my ass does not want to be planted. You can't you can't fence me in.
1: I have a swivel one. Oh.
2: That sounds great.
1: And it's very quiet. So I don't have to worry I about it. I am gonna squeaking. go on
2: Amazon after we get done with this and I'm gonna buy a fucking swivel stool.
1: Yeah. I like mine. Mine's pretty comfortable. I think it's Pure One and they're going out of business, so that's all I'm saying. Are they going I out of business? Know. It's Wayfair, but it's just it's just Isn't... a chair, not a child.
2: Wait, Wayfair is going off out of business? But I like this. No,
1: Pier t- 1 is going out
2: of business, which oh, okay. is
1: sad because I love their pillows. <laughs> <laughs> they have the best fucking pillows. And they're not $100 per pillow.
2: They're only $80 per like- pillow.
1: <laughs> they're not. They're not that much either. Uh, that's always like – it's a – like I need a throw pillow.
2: Oh yeah. For yeah. my
1: sofa, I'm not spending 100 dollars on a fucking throw pillow that my dog is going to hump when I leave. Like no.
2: Yeah, no. He no. doesn't really
1: do that anymore, I don't think. He feels more in control. But he used to hump a pillow any time like he needed to feel like he was in, he'd get real fired up and then he just Gingy. it was really the, the the Frenchie pillow was the one he humped the most.
2: It's <laughs> it funny. But you should say that Genji and Gus hump each other constantly like when they're yeah. not sleeping they're playing and they're playing always ends up it's like a movie where they're fighting and then suddenly they're fucking and i'm like boys you are related
1: stop it stop it's not it. a yeah, it's not uh, always dexter's a sexual never, thing
2: with dogs they just do it to like show dominance it's like i don't it's yeah. weird you know dexter's guys the never same humped way. another
1: dog because he's not that dominant but <laughs> i think uh he was going through puberty even though he didn't have any balls that still <laughs> was there and uh, he's, he doesn't do it anymore. That was like a, 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 it was of his youth. Now he's almost three. It's totally different dog. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, we got those suckers cut off at six months. It was like, get rid of them. And it's great. Well, Gen- Gen- Genji <laughs> has no balls.
2: We've we got Genji neutered. And we're not really sure what we're going to do with Gus. Like, he's kind of the last of his line. Did he
1: pee on your bed? And weren't you like, this it. He's go they're going.
2: Yeah, but he hasn't peed. On- he didn't pee on the bed. He puked on the bed.
1: I thought he peed on it. No. Like a lot. Like he was no, like, "Hey, no, the no. sofa or something." No, but he peed
2: yeah. on every he peed on the floor all the time before we finally it took it, it we took were him on longer the to phone. toilet train.
1: We were on the floor No, phone, he peed at the, were like, he
2: peed at the foot of the bed and some of it got on the the comforter okay. that was dangling off. But he he wasn't like on the bed going, "My bed peeing." Off. Like he just right. he peed, yeah. So yeah, you're kind of right, but that's not exactly what happened.
1: All I heard was, "You peed on the bed." I have got to call you back.
2: <laughs> it was it was okay, so he did it right in front of me, and shit. And then you were, And, you did, forever, and, you're and like, like those
1: are going. They're going now. <laughs> yeah,
2: but then we saw it. I'm like, "Oh, but is He's uh, okay, here's the thing, Jamie, he's such a little <laughs> pussy already if we take his balls, it's what's he going to be like? Like I don't I don't know that I'm ready for that. He's going to be the whiniest yeah. neediest little fucker and he's already that. So without without testosterone in his system, what's he I don't understand I don't know. That's true. I don't know. I don't know. We're not sure, but we That's
1: we'll- a question for Dr. Charles.
2: It is it is indeed. I'm going to talk She's
1: our vet. We love I'm gonna her. I'm
2: going to talk <laughs> She's she's fucking great. I love her so fucking much. She's so she's saucy. She uh, is a lover. All right. Well, speaking of sauce, so okay. my subject for the week is in Minnesota, which is uh, was also recommended by Jack. He picked a state for me as well. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, Minnesota, cool. That sounds good. What's in Minnesota?" Uh, I found well, there's several haunted spots, so I might do several, but today I'm gonna focus on the haunted Schmidt Brewery. So woohoo! Woo My sources are of course, Wikipedia, as always, uh, a haunted history Facebook page that uh, offers a lot of Ooh. details about the history of the Schmidt Brewery, which is colorful to say the least. Uh, an article for the Minnesota Monthly by Gregory J. Scott, entitled or just titled "The Most Haunted Places in Minnesota." I shouldn't say entitled anymore because it makes it sound the article like the article really expects a lot out of me. Um, it's just <laughs> titled "The Most Haunted Places in Minnesota," and, to your uh, performance. and I'm most indebted to the book Mysterious Minnesota by Paris uh, paranormal investigator Adrian Lee, author and founder of the International Paranormal Society. Ooh. So let's jump in. This is a fun story. It's a fun story. The, I, the history is almost more enjoyable than the ghost stories. The ghost stories are there, but most of this centers around Adrian Lee's investigation with uh, with his crew on site, which yielded some interesting anecdotes, if not, you know, hard evidence. I mean, what hard evidence has ever really produced in, in a, this kind of investigation, really? It's just not the nature of the game. But the history of the brewery itself is just fucking fun. It's really there's, it's got everything, Jamie. It's got everything. Um, <laughs> now, real estate developers, I'm ready. Uh, real estate developers attracted to Schmidt Brewery's prime location and striking architecture, because the building still stands, uh, may roll their eyes to hear it. But the storied site of one of Minnesota's oldest logger producers enjoys a less than savory supernatural uh, reputation. I have to say it like that. I, I love that boy. I might be two drinks in. Enthusiasts and para, uh, paranormal investigators like Adrian Lee, whose book Mysterious Minnesota, thank you very much, was partially inspired by his experiences in the 165-year-old site. Uh, he tends to chalk the paranormal activity up
1: the— 165-year-old site? To
2: the... Mm-hmm. It's been operating as a brewery in one form or fashion— for one hundred sixty-five years, and it's been the Schmidt Brewery for for well over a hundred. Um,
1: I'm pretty sure that the the ho- the hospital was in use for one hundred sixty-five years. Oh shit! Oh <laughs> shit!
2: <I> oh <don't>
1: <laughs> fuck! <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, um, 165. Yeah, that's Lee so funny. And, and
2: many other people, they chalk, uh, they chalk the site's hauntings down to the very dramatic history of the site's various owners and their families. Uh, so let's just jump into it. In 1855, three years before Minnesota attained statehood, as it turns out, brewer Christopher Stallman moved to St. Paul and opened the Cave Brewery, so named for the network of subterranean tunnels at the river's edge that provided year-round natural refrigeration, which is very important Can to the locker process. Can we just say
1: process. real quick, I don't know what's up with these fucking tunnels, but for weeks now, there have been tunnels in everything we talk about. I don't know what...
2: Haunted, because every fucking <laughs> tunnel is haunted as shit. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean,
1: there are tunnels in everything we talk about. It's like, I didn't know there were tunnels in this hotel. There were tunnels. I didn't know there was tunnels in there. It's like there's a
2: whole other, I don't know, it's like there's a service corridor underneath reality.
1: Everything. (laughs) Everything has tunnels. Everything. Now,
2: uh, Stahlman died of bowel inflammation, speaking of tunnels, in
1: 1883. That's so shitty. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm sorry.
2: Just dying of bowel inflammation sounds like how I'm going to go. He willed the brewery to his sons, who, alas, perished of tuberculosis one after the other in fairly rapid succession Mm. so that by 1887, the Cave Brewery, popular as it was, went bankrupt. Meanwhile, Bavarian immigrant Jacob Schmidt had come to St. Paul in 1884 and set about making beer as joint owner of the North Star Brewery at the intersection of Commercial Street and Hudson Road. At the time interesting little, uh, historical curiosity for you. Uh, German immigrants made up the largest number of transplants to America from overseas, mostly due to the 1848 German revolutions. Um, Ooh. these were essentially a series of loosely coordinated protests and rebellions. Um, Uh, that arose out of popular discontent with the autocratic political structure of the German independent states at the time. This was a confederation of states that had inherited the German territory from the former Holy Roman Empire. People were sick of the aristocracy and the nepotism and the bullshit, and so they started rising up. Now, the middle class in Germany was committed to very liberal principles, whereas the working class, who also had beefs with the aristocracy, sought radical improvements to their working and living conditions. Now, Sadly, the middle and the, the, the uh, working class couldn't get their shit together and wound up splitting and becoming different factions among themselves in the rebellion, and so the, the sort of corrupt aristocracy they were trying to fight managed to quash them outright. Uh, liberals, then known as the 48ers, were forced into exile to escape persecution. Most of these immigrated to the United States and settled in places uh, like Wisconsin and Texas, right? Uh, Which is why here in Texas we have a lot of German communities that go back to, like, Bavarian uh, uh, styles And they're fucking
1: adorable.
2: (laughs) And the food. Oh, God, the food. Mm -hmm. And the lager. So... Here's the thing these German exiles brought to America with them was this technique of beer making called lagering, which was completely unknown in America at the time. And it's a process that involves fermentation at the bottom of the vat as opposed to the top, which just allows for more flavor, more creativity and the blending of yeasts and hops and blah, blah, blah. I'm not a Bruce, I don't know, but just know that lagers are fucking awesome. Um,
1: yeah, and right, it, and like and, and this
2: technique was absolutely a shot in the arm to America's brewing industry, which really didn't have a lot to toot its horn about at the time. It was like, eh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> like it's beer. It's uh, we, we call yeah. this uh, we call this sex in a canoe because it's fucking close to the water. <laughs> um, because the process required longer cold storage time, however. Uh, The caves of Minnesota attracted brewers in droves. Now, nine years after he'd come to St. Paul via Staten Island, Schmidt was arrested for allegedly shooting a pair of pigeon hunters docked on the river out back behind his brewery. This was on July 4th, 1893. The men survived the attack and identified Schmidt as the man who'd fired on them from the roof of the brewery but the charges didn't stick. Uh, Schmidt had a more or less ironclad alibi. He was enjoying a game of cards in his office with friends when the shooting took place. So the actual shooter was never brought to justice, but thankfully no one Mm. died. Schmidt, successful brewer that he was, retired in 1899 turning operations over to his daughter Mary and his son-in-law Adolf Bremer, whom he'd originally hired as an accountant and developed a very long and steadfast friendship with. Now though the brewery was a relatively small family affair, at the time the transition in ownership was fraught with difficulties. The place burned down less than a year after the changeover. The Bremer's- have a fire! (laughs) Right, so many fire. Well, they have a lot in breweries as it turns out. Uh, Remmers relocated to the old cave brewery once owned by Christopher Stallman and erected the glorious structure in its place now known as the Schmidt Brewery. And they still use the the caves underneath the tunnels. Uh, Now, according to architectural historian Paul Clifford Larson, Schmidt Brewery was a key contributor to getting the St. Paul community through the Depression. Larson writes, quote, The brewery industry was a key player in the emergence of St. Paul from each of the major economic depressions between 1875 and 1930, in spite of the growing uh, uh, temperance movement in the state. Newspaper articles celebrating St. Paul's emergence from the economic depression listed every leading industry, but the one that had made the most investment was the Schmidt Brewery. What the architectural splendor of the brewery captures is the dramatic technology and commercial evolution of brewing uh, of several centuries, from 1880 from the 1880 stone malt houses to the 1949 grain elevator. The primary architect, uh, uh, Bernard Barthel or Barthel, had a difficult task of integrating the requirements of height and the formal complexities of the brewing process that represented form and function in equal measure. Pardon me while I masturbate. The medieval towers <laughs> and turrets with their neoclassical <laughs> put you features. In an asylum for that. <laughs> Uh, no, I'll just go to the chiropractor like you do to fix my oh, arm. Uh, the the medieval, thing. the medieval towers and turrets with their neoclassical features and cobblestone streets between, conjure a romantic and eye-catching expression of European architecture, reminiscent of a picturesque castle on the banks of the Rhine. The ornamental cornices and denticulate modillions, which are just the tooth-like projections beneath the cornices, but I love. Say the, it again. <laughs> denticulate modillions. Yeah, yeah. I like it. My nipples are. Heart, are all <laughs> perfectly formed in Bedford stone trim. The checkered voussoir pattern of the window arches and tan and cream-colored bricks highlight the grandeur and imperial might of the Schmidt-Brewing dynasty. Voussoirs, incidentally, are those wedge-shaped stones you see that make up an arch. Architects like to name everything. (laughs) Yeah. Now, sadly, Jacob Schmidt himself died in 1910 before he could see the building completed in all its wonderful Germanic splendor. And it is a gorgeous fucking building. It really, really is. There's some talk about them turning it into apartments or lofts. And man, I got to tell you, I'd live there in a fucking heartbeat if I was in the area. Um, The success of the brewery helped make the Bremers one of the wealthiest families in Minnesota. It also made them a target for kidnappers. Ooh. At the height of prohibition, Edward G. Bremer, Marion Adolph's son, who was by then a grown man, was kidnapped by the notorious Ma Barker Gang and held for $200... The Ma Barker Gang? Yes, and held for a $200,000 ransom. Uh, Kate Barker, Ma Barker, born on January 16, 1935, was the mother of several infamous American criminals whose exploits mesmerized America during the quote-unquote public enemy era. She traveled with her sons during their criminal careers and is thought by many to have been the gang's de facto leader. J. Edgar Hoover, him, uh, J. Edgar Hoover himself, once described her as the, quote, most vicious, dangerous, and resourceful criminal brain of the last decade. Uh, well, 10 her. out of 10 would, <laughs> 10 out of 10 would arrest again. Uh, but,
1: <laughs> but, while, but
2: while she's been spun as a monstrous matriarch in film, pop music, and literature, those who knew her insisted that she had no criminal role. They allege that Hoover created these accusations as a simple pretext for killing her. Now, Edward Bremer was at the time president of the Commercial State Bank of St. Paul. On Wednesday, January 17th, 1934, he had just dropped his daughter Betty off at school on the way to work and was idling at an intersection when several armed men jumped into his black Lincoln sedan. At gunpoint, they forced him to drive to a remote location where he was knocked unconscious. Edward wound up almost 400 miles away in a house in Bensonville, Illinois, where he would be held captive for 22 days. Gang leaders, Alvin, Carpus and Freddie Barker, son of Kate Barker, a.k.a. Ma, were wary of transitioning from bank robbery, which had been their M.O. for a while, to outright kidnapping, particularly in this case as the Bremers were rumored to have mob connections in Chicago. I mean, they were brewers. Right. But it was Adolf... How were they
1: they maintaining business during Prohibition? Uh It wasn't legally. (laughs)
2: Uh, But it was Adolf Brimmer's close personal friendship with President Franklin D. Roosevelt that proved the gang's undoing. The FBI, Mm. eager for good publicity, focused on the Brimmer kidnapping hardcore. Edward himself, it must be said, was no picnic for the kidnappers. He made sure his captivity was a hell on earth for the gang. To call him demanding (laughs) and difficult would be an understatement. Uh, Though they'd hoped for a much larger sum from the Brimmer family, negotiations were so contentious that the kidnappers finally settled for a comparatively small 200K. Brimmer <laughs> was released, superficially battered, but otherwise unharmed, and a nationwide manhunt for the Barker gang began. Now they'd stupidly used a piece of gauze to blindfold Bremmer, so he was able to mm-hmm. make out pertinent details regarding the location that would ultimately lead investigators to the site, especially the wallpaper design. The FBI tracked sales of that pattern and discovered the house. A discarded flashlight found on the floor of the house led them to a local hardware store where the owner positively identified Dark Barker as the one who bought it. So they found him and arrested him. On January 16, 1935, government agents shot and killed Freddie Barker and Kate Ma Barker in Florida while the pair were resisting arrest. Four years later, Doc himself would be killed in a failed escape from from Alcatraz. Uh, Alvin Carpus was arrested in New Orleans on May 1st, 1936. But back to the brewery. During Prohibition, as Jamie has <laughs> so <laughs> wisely pointed out, the business eked out by meh, operating more or less underboard, but they also made non alcoholic beverages like Malta and City Club for several years, and these were so popular that they were able to get through the Depression just fine. Um, And basically, the brewery was able to hold out long enough to become, uh, after America's ill-fated experiment with with teetotalism ended, the seventh largest brewery in the country. Hmm. Now, most of the hauntings are attributed to ordinary brewer workers dying in a variety of horrendous ways pre-OSHA standards. A chemical chemical explosion on on October 2nd. I can talk, I swear to God. A chemical explosion on October 2nd, 1896 injured 16 workers, killing two. The chief engineer, Edward, his name is now lost to history, and an assistant by the name of Otto Kaiser. On October 4th, 1902, a cooper, or barrel maker, named Herman F. Kelm plummeted to his death down an insufficiently marked elevator shaft that happened to be Mm -hmm. empty. His son, Herman K. Kelm, who's also the executive of his estate, successfully sued the brewery for wrongful death and won $5,000 a year later. On April 15th, 1904, fireman Matthew Kohler, who made extra money by keeping the brewery furnaces lit, uh, died horribly when he quite literally inhaled flames. He'd been Ooh. refilling an oil lamp, which was part of his job duties, when some of the oil got on his clothes and somehow ignited. By the time his co-workers managed to put the fire out, he breathed in the flames fatally scorching his lungs, which is an awful way to die, but I've been told by a ghost tour guide, incidentally, in New Orleans, that if you are ever in a fire, and you know for a fact there's no getting out and you're going to die, the best advice anyone can give you is to just (laughs) dip your head into the flames and breathe, and it'll kill you a lot quicker than just waiting for the flames to to sear your flesh down to nothing. It's a lot less painful, or quicker. Maybe not less painful, but quicker. So, yeah, little uh, fun fact for you.
1: (laughs) Yay! Uh,
2: So let's get on to the investigation, which is really like while while the brewery has a lot of uh, has a reputation for being haunted. There's not a lot of specific stories you can find, but luckily in his book, Adrian Lee describes their investigation into the brewery uh, in great detail. So let's just uh, let's focus on that for a moment because it's a really fun book and I highly recommend people uh, read it because it's also got a lot of other fun haunted sites in Minnesota as well. Now when Adrian Lee and his crew combed the brewery for evidence of the paranormal in 2011, their experience was a memorable one to say the least. One of The, uh, the first thing that happened was one of the team's resident psychics, a guy named Tim, sensed the presence of a woman in the main offices at the top of a grand art deco staircase at an Old-fashioned switchboard. The empty chair in front of it, Tim said, held the spirit of an operator named Elizabeth or Betty, for short, waiting to connect a call that would never come. Next came the—I oh, love this word—rathskeller, <laughs> which is a <laughs> fancy word for an underground tavern. Uh, uh, we've been to a rathskeller, Jamie. We have. We did in St. Louis. That was that speakeasy. Oh, yeah. That that's technically great. was a rathskeller. Oh, wait, Uh, an underground
1: tavern? Yeah. We have one in Fort Worth. We've been to that one, too.
2: We have been to several Rothskers.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Oh, look at that. Right. Now, decked out in a classic now-faded Teutonic style, the area struck the crew as the ideal spot to establish contact with the spirits. They arranged a circle of chairs and invited the lingering spirits to reach out. One participant, Lisa, claimed to sense five distinct entities slowly closing in on them, curious as to what the group was up to. I should point out here that Adrian intentionally had kept the finer points of the brewery's history from his team to avoid false positives, wise. Tim made out the name Otto, the name just so happened to be of Adolf Brimmer's brother Also the assistant engineer who perished in the uh, 1896 explosion, if you'll recall. The spirits didn't care for Lee's presence, however, considering the tavern a most unsuitable place for a lady. For that matter, they disliked the crew's fashion sense. Formal dress, writes Adrian, would have been more appropriate for the grandeur of the hall. A female spirit was drawn (laughs) to Lee's British accent and asked whether England was as she remembered. Adrian described the working-class neighborhood where he'd grown up But the spirit seemed to dismiss him after that, adding that she'd grown up in a country estate. (laughs) Like, (laughs) fine, bitch, be a snob. Um...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it as I remember? Well, it was this and this. I I wouldn't know about
2: that, I'm sure. Um, Quote, "During, (laughs) During this dialogue, Adrian writes, We tried to encourage our spectral visitors to move the trigger objects and venture closer so we could document an EMF reading. They resisted all of these efforts. After a period of inactivity, we ended the vigil, left the circle, and collected our equipment. At that moment... The K2 EMF meter, which had been placed on the seat of an unoccupied chair within our circle, spiked into the red and stayed there for over a minute, as if an entity had sat down in the chair. Now, the K2 meter has a range limited to approximately five inches. After a baseline reading of zero, it should not give a constant high reading when the device has not been moved. To suddenly move from no reading to the highest reading of over 20 (laughs) 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 So That's a a word I should have looked up. Uh, With that... Any other stimulus suggests <laughs> no. It was perfect. <laughs> you did it perfect. Suggests that a large electromagnetic energy had arrived and then dis- dissipated close to the meter. Before leaving the Rathskeller, Adrian and his crew were thoughtful enough to leave an offering of lager on the bar. We will get nice. back to that. Okay. Now, the brewery proper is massive and long abandoned. Uh, Guides routinely admonish tourists not to get separated from their groups, because the cathedral-like main room feeds into countless random passageways so tight that one's shoulders touch both walls between twisting clusters of pipes. Adrian compares the experience of getting lost amid the industrial refuse like exploring a goddamn submarine. As the crew picked their way through the claustrophobic confines, Tim stopped at his tracks. He said he could see a man standing amid the industrial debris. The entity, he said, wasn't partial to communicating, except to say that he'd been a fireman. Later, poring through the archives of the St. Paul Daily Globe, Adrian would discover the tragic and horrific death of Fireman Matthew Kohler. but only afterwards. Uh, in the farthest reaches of the building, graffiti artists had had a field day. Quite apart from this, however, Adrian's team found the atmosphere oppressive. Everyone agreed that something terrible had happened here, stamping itself permanently into the walls. Tears welled in Tim's eyes. A picture was forming in his mind. Three men, he said, had dragged a woman here against her will and raped her. Her name was Ruth, oh. he said. Moments later, the ghost box, which had been silent all night, blurted out the word, Ruth. Ooh. Though no record of a sexual assault on the premises exists, the building has been abandoned since 2004. The incident, <laughs> like could there have... would be, exactly like the incident has probably taken place in the interim and been perpetrated by trespassers. And as often happens in cases like this, the victim probably never reported it to police, provided or she, she even did, survived. They you were know. like, well, yeah, yeah, they were like, eh, whatever. You were hanging okay. out there, yeah, whatever. They probably pulled some shit like, well, you were trespassing on private property, and well, in, in order to admit the rape, we'd have to have it singly there. Do you want to deal with that? Like, fuckers. Right. Anyway, across yeah. the cobblestone street from the brewery looms the old bottling factory. The crew focused the next phase of their investigation among the abandoned offices there. The building had been vacated so quickly in 2004 when uh, when the company went under that lunches were still moldering in the break room. Wow. Alas, in Adrian's words, the vigil provided no valuable evidence. I was disappointed, he said, because our expectations were high. As we packed up and left the location, we ventured into an area we had not previously discovered. It turns out, the bottling building was now being used as a storage space for the city's salt supply. Belief in the power of salt to protect against paranormal attack, inherited largely from Wicca, is so prevalent that it's now included as part of the holy water rite of the Roman Catholic Church. So Adrian theorizes that Schmidt Brewery may be a hot spot, uh, but it's now dampened by the presence of the salt. Uh, He thinks that the Schmidt Brewery might also have been a hotspot uh, because of a 30,000-year-old natural spring churning away 1,100 feet underground. Glaciers heaped a massive layer of sediment over a body of water called the Mount Simon Hinckley Aquifer. The resultant pressure sealed the basin off from above, the water sweated through rock and and limestone for centuries. The Schmidt Brewery, however, drilled the deepest holes of any brewery in the United States to access the aquifer so that drinkers of Schmidt Lager were essentially the first human beings to partake of this water and the first living creatures to do so since the woolly mammoth. Though the investigation left Adrian's team only personal stories, it ended on a curious note. that glass of beer left in the uh, Rothskeller? yeah, uh-huh. When they returned to retrieve it, the crew found it had been drained by more than an inch. Oh,
1: <gasps> thirsty bitches.
2: <laughs> and that is the fun little story of the Schmidt Brewery in St. Paul. Minnesota.
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, and it, look really up awesome. pictures of the building. It is a gorgeous fucking building. It is, it's got so much character to it. It's one of my favorite architectural uh, factories that I've ever seen, and I'm like, I, yeah. I never knew of its existence. And I looked it up, I'm like, wow. oh my god, it's just fucking gorgeous. I want to live there if it ever becomes a loft apartment building. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that story a lot.
2: Yeah. Thank you, thank good. you. Well, thank you for your story. I appreciate the hell out of it.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. It was a bit exhausting, but uh, yeah.
2: I- I bet. It. Yes. It
1: needs to be told.
2: Yes, it does. And I'm glad you did.
1: Yeah. Uh, send us your stories. Uh. Yes, please. If, yeah. If you, you know, whatever those those stories are, to, uh, ask your friends and your family for stories. Um, we love reading them. We do. This are so much fun. You send them to GoogleIntentions.com on the website. Mm-hmm. It's where mm-hmm. you can send those, uh, per usual.
2: Per usual.
1: Um. I think we have a chat. Our first Patreon chat is this next Tuesday? I thought it was, I don't uh, know. Saturday, it's on
2: the Saturday. It's on a Sunday or Saturday. Saturday, Remember, we that's right. The, we it's changed next the dates Saturday. so we could accommodate uh, our friends overseas a little better. That's so I right. think it's, I uh, it's, it's, this, some, it's, it's. It's not this. Uh, it's not this Saturday. It's the, the 15th. Saturday. It's the 15th. So the 15th. It's okay. It's okay. Saturday the 15th. Yes.
1: It's really funny because it's in the commercial that they heard not too long ago when we're <laughs> sitting here like,
2: when is it? When? What? What
1: did she say? Uh, yeah, so that'll be for all of our patrons, which we love and appreciate. Thank you, patrons. Yes, um, yes, yes. I don't have anything else. you have anything else? Uh, no, just because
2: we haven't shouted them out in a long time. Thank you, Matt, our engineer who's fucking yes. wonderful and makes us sound great and who's also just a lovely goddamn human being. You are such true a part perfect. of the show, even though I don't think, um, even though they never hear you, but they hear you. <laughs> that's true. They hear your that's work. Right. And that's, that's even right. more important. But thank you. We love you. All of you out there, um...
1: Stay safe. Stay sane. And remember,
2: it's okay to sleep with the the lights lights on. on.